All right, this evening we will be considering Leviticus chapter 18 and to sort of set up the discussion in Leviticus 18, which begins what is uh, occasionally referred to as the Holiness Code in the book of Leviticus. I would like to just direct um, your attention back to Exodus. So if you'll turn with me, if you'd like, back to Exodus chapter 20. And the reason we're going to go back to Exodus 20 um, is because I want you to see a pattern. It's a pattern that we've talked about during the Leviticus study as well. And we keep saying that Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, only exists for one reason. It, it, it answers the question, how can a holy God live in the midst of a sinful people? And in order for that to, uh, to occur... There must be three things. There must be a holy house that is God's house, the tabernacle, which we, of course, saw in the book of Exodus. There must be sacrifices uh, for sin, for the covering of the sin of the Israelites. And then there must be holiness. And we've been saying that over and over and over again, uh, because as Pastor Mike often reminds us, repetition is the mother of all learning. And that's what I want you to see uh, in the book of Leviticus. But I want you to go back... Um, to, to Exodus 20, because I want you to see that this is a pattern, and I haven't pointed this out that I can remember, but this is a pattern that we've seen before. So, for example, in Exodus uh, chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, and of course, Exodus 20 is the uh, chapter wherein we are provided the uh, Ten Commandments of God. And so, Exodus 20, beginning in verse 1, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And so on and so forth. That's only the first of the Ten Commandments. But what we said when we were studying through Exodus is what we see very clearly here in Exodus 20 is we see a pattern. And the pattern is this. I am God... Here is what I've done for you by my grace and mercy. And now here is how I expect you to live. I am God. Here's what I've done for you. Here's how I expect you to live. And you can see that again, verse 2. I am the Lord your God. Well, what did God do? Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, how do I expect you to live? You shall have no other gods before me. And so on and so forth. That is the pattern that we have seen before, and that is the pattern that we have said over and over again in Leviticus. You need a holy house where God dwells, you need sacrifices to cover sin, and you need holiness in order for a holy God to dwell in the midst of a sinful people. And this is the same pattern in different words. We've also pointed out in the past, especially when we were discussing Exodus 20, I remember specifically, that we said that this same pattern is the pattern that we very often see in Paul's epistles in the New Testament. Right? There's a discussion uh, early in the epistle of who God is and what God has done for us in and through his son, Jesus Christ. And then at some point, around the middle of the epistle, there will be a therefore. Right? And then what's following the therefore is exhortations or commands as to how we are to live now that we are new creations or new creatures in Christ. I am the Lord. Here's what I've done, done for you. Now here's how I expect you to live. And this is the same pattern that we saw not only in Exodus 20, 
but we see in the larger Exodus, Leviticus um, books. And so this evening, we are coming to the point in Leviticus where uh, God is now prescribing for his people, the Israelites, how they ought to live. So he has established in Exodus chapter 3 and in Exodus chapter 20 through 23 that he is their God. He, during the course of the early uh, portion of Exodus, rescued them out of slavery. Early now, in the book of Leviticus, he has provided sacrifices for them, all the way up to and including the Day of Atonement, to cleanse them from their sin, to cleanse them from their impurity, to, to move them from a state of uncleanness to cleanness. And now, after he has done all of these things for them, he is about to prescribe for them, beginning in Leviticus 18, how they are to live before him. Not only in the wilderness, as he dwells in their midst in the tabernacle, but also when they move west across the Jordan River into the land of Canaan. This is how they are to live. And it's important to understand that the way the Israelites are called to live is in clear distinction when compared to those who are living, who are living in Egypt and those who were living in Canaan. And we see that here at the beginning of Leviticus chapter 18. We pick up in verse 1. Then the Lord Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt where you lived, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes, to live in accord with them. I am the Lord your God. So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments, by which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord Yahweh. So we see as the holiness code now begins in Leviticus 18 and following, there's a clear contrast being drawn by God, the covenant God of Israel, Yahweh, and those who were living in Egypt, where the Israelites were, and those who are living in Canaan, where the Israelites are going. And so, everything that we're going to see in Leviticus 18 and following is to draw a clear distinction between the Israelites and the Canaanites and the Egyptians and, of course, through the law, God demonstrates to us, to Israel, and, and so to us, through his written word, God's nature, who he is, his holiness, his righteousness, his distinctiveness, apart from the practices of fallen, sinful, rebellious men. So we have to keep that in mind. Those two things. Number one, here's how God expects us to live. And number two, the reason he expects us to live this way is because he is holy and he calls his people whom he has redeemed to be holy as well. Okay? So, that's the contrast that we see in verse 3. The contrast between the Egyptians and the Canaanites and the Israelites. And then you see in verse 5 something very important that I want to point out. So he says, So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments, by which a man may live if he does them. Alright? And so, we've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. The Mosaic Covenant was a conditional covenant. 
Okay, God gave the, he's about to give the Israelites the land of Canaan as a gift of grace and mercy because that's what he promised Abraham he would do in Genesis chapter 12. So the initial conquering of the Canaanites and the initial giving of the land of Canaan is a gift of grace and mercy. In many ways, it's in spite of the fact that the Israelites are disobedient. Think, for example, golden calf. However, for the Israelites to remain in the land, they must be obedient. They must be righteous. They must be holy or the land will spew them out. And we will see that actually at the end of Leviticus 18 before our time is up here this evening. And so the Mosaic Covenant, as we see in verse 5 of Leviticus 18, it is a covenant of do this and live. Do this and live. Okay, And that's in contrast to the pattern that I discussed at the very beginning. There's a sense in which the gospel proclamation is, live and do this. All right? Live and do this. So God rescues the Israelites. He gives them the land of Canaan as a gift of mercy and grace. Live, and this is, this is the promise that, I will, that I, I will keep to your fathers. However, in order to keep the land, it is do this and live. And this is very important distinction between the old covenant and the new covenant. Verse 6. None of you shall approach any blood relative of his to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, that is, the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You are not to uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. The nakedness of your sister, either your father's daughter or your mother's daughter, whether born at home or born outside, their nakedness you shall not uncover. The nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, the nakedness you shall not uncover, for their nakedness is yours. The nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, born to your father, she is your sister, you shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is your father's blood relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is your mother's blood relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. You shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and of her daughter, nor shall you take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are blood relatives. It is lewdness. And you shall not marry a woman in addition to her sister as a rival while she is alive to uncover her nakedness. Also, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness during her menstrual impurity. And you shall not have intercourse with your neighbor's wife to be defiled with her. Neither shall you give any of your offspring to offer them to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. And you shall not, also you shall not have intercourse with any animal to be defiled with it, nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is a perversion. All right, so let's stop there at verse 23. So here, obviously, we have uh, a pretty extensive list of things you shall not. 
Um, and this is uh, obviously mostly aimed at males and the uh, sexual relationships that they are prohibited from having. So just so you understand that this uncover nakedness is a euphemism for sexual relations. And we could work our way through here in detail. I don't know that that's um, necessary per se. Uh, I would point out that in several of these verses, they are things that we have already seen uh, violated previously in Genesis, uh, for example. And I w but I will note this. In verse 9, the nakedness of your sister, either your father's daughter or your mother's daughter, whether born at home or born outside, their nakedness you shall not uncover. So I just, I just want to point out here that this, this case of incest is actually now forbidden, whereas previously it was not, and it could not have been forbidden, or else the mandate given to Adam and given to Noah, that is, um, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, uh, could not have been completed. Um, and so we see that several thousand years after Adam and Noah, we see that God steps in and uh, makes this law in Leviticus 18 verse 9 so that now incest is among the Israelites uh, unlawful. And again, the reason why is because this is in contrast to the Egyptians and the Canaanites. Okay, and so and you know we know now uh, in in the 21st century we know that there are um, significant issues. Uh, with incestuous relationships in terms of what the offspring, how the offspring uh, turn out. And there are there's some speculation as to why this was the right time in history to prohibit um, incest. So, for example, if, if you take the tack, biologically speaking, that the curse um, negatively impacted uh, the biology of human beings, uh, for example, we see that um, genetic mutations perhaps uh, have multiplied to the point where God knows, of course, um, that these incestuous relationships will produce um, offspring, impure offspring, uh, diseased offspring, handicapped offspring. And so for his people, the Israelites, uh, in their cleanness and in their purity, God prohibits incest. And so there's, there's some speculation uh, in the biological realm as to why uh, this comes in, and certainly this is in contrast to, say, the early portions of Genesis where uh, this was absolutely necessary in order for Adam and Noah uh, to continue uh, to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. So uh, just something there for maybe um, after the recording to discuss in more detail, but I just wanted to point that out. So again, lots of sexual relationship prohibitions here in Leviticus 18. Um, in uh, verse 18 of Leviticus 18, I want to point out a subtle uh, issue. It says, And you shall not marry a woman in addition to her sister as a rival while she is alive to uncover her nakedness. Now, in um, Israel, as in uh, other cultures as well, there was this concept that we call leveret marriage. Leveret Marriage. So the he the uh, Latin word L E V I R uh, it means basically husband's brother uh, in the Latin. And in Israel, there was an opportunity uh, for if a man was married, but he died before he was able to produce offspring. It was incumbent upon that man's brother to go into 
the the dead man's wife and to produce offspring for his brother. That was actually stipulated uh, in the uh, in the uh, Mosaic Code. You can see that, for example, if you'd like to study this further in Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. Okay, so the prohibition here is not in contrast to leveret marriage. And by the way, you can see that uh, when the Sadducees come to Jesus and they talk to him about the seven brothers who all had the same wife, uh, for example. That's what they're talking about there. And that leveret marriage is not in contrast to the prohibition here in Deuteronomy 18, 18, because you see it says, you shall not marry a woman in addition to her sister as a rival while she is alive. So the assumption in Deuteronomy 18, 18 is that that, um, the, the sisters are both married and those uh, both sisters both remain in the household of the man. And so, uh, as I previously mentioned, we saw that in the life of Jacob, for example, with Rachel and Leah and the problems that that caused there. So I just wanted to point out that the prohibition in Leviticus 18.18 18, um, is not in contrast to the uh, leveret marriage that is elsewhere discussed in the Pentateuch. Um Verse 20, you shall not have intercourse with your neighbor's wife to be defiled with her. This is a restatement of um, the, the issue of you shall not commit adultery. Then in verse 21, there's neither shall you give any of your offspring to offer them to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God. Um, and so what we see here is the introduction of this prohibition about offering, uh, especially the firstborn children, uh, through the fire. Uh, we've discussed this previously uh, at Abiding Grace Church uh, from the pulpit, and this is something actually that is a, an abomination to the Lord. And it, it's grouped in here with the uh, the prohibitions on sexual relationship. Um, and there's some speculation as to uh, perhaps Moloch was also uh, had a cult prostitution aspect to it, and so it's tied in with some of the sexual prohibitions. Um, the, the word offspring is there used uh, in verse 21, which also ties it to sexual relationships. Um, the point here is that this level of idolatry is in essence a spiritual adultery against the Lord God. Uh, and so any offering of the Israelite children to Molech is prohibited. We know, of course, that as we read through the Old Testament, they did engage in this heinous crime, and that was uh, one aspect of why uh, God ultimately judged Israel in the captivities and so on. Uh, but this prohibition is clear here and unmistakable. Uh, in verse 22 of Leviticus uh, chapter 18, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. Um, and so uh, we see here clearly uh, in the Mosaic law a prohibition against homosexuality uh, in all of its forms. Um, and uh, so both the Old Testament and the New Testament are very clear about um, God's view uh, of, of homosexuality. Uh, it is clearly an abomination, and the word abomination there is a very strong word, by the way. And uh, so, uh, as you all know, I'm sure you can pick up these same prohibitions in the New Testament uh, in Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 26 and 27. You can also see it very clearly in 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, so, wherever there is a um, vice list in the New Testament given to us by the Apostle Paul, you will see a prohibition against homosexual relationships in all of their manifestations. 
And then in verse 23, almost a practice that is uh, unspeakable in mixed company, in a sense, um, he says, Also you shall not have intercourse with any animal to be defiled with it, nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is a perversion. Um, and so uh, we see this as a, a violation on multiple levels. Um, we see this as a violation of uh, the creation account in Genesis chapter 1 where um, animals themselves are only to reproduce uh, after their own kind. Um, and so um, if animals are not permitted to do it, then um, it is clearly a perversion for human beings, which are not animals, but are special creations of God, to engage in the same type of behavior. Um, and actually, it's, it's quite worse than that. And so this uh, bestiality is something that is roundly condemned uh, by the Lord God. And, and you might be asking yourself, well, why, the, why the need for God to uh, mention such a heinous thing here in his law, and I just go back to verse um, the beginning of the chapter, uh, verse three: You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt where you lived, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. And so apparently, this is a um, a perverted sexual practice that was um, uh, committed uh, either in Egypt and or in Canaan among the seven nations that were existing in Canaan. Um, and so uh, for many of us, I assume on the call, this is something that is uh, barely able to be comprehended, but apparently is what um, the most perverted of sinners engage in. Verse 24, Do not defile yourselves by any of these things, for by all these the, the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled. For the land has become defiled. Therefore I have visited its punishment upon it, so the land has spewed out its inhabitants. But as for you, you are to keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not do any of these abominations, neither the native nor the alien who sojourns among you. For the men of the land who have been before you have done all these abominations, and the land has become defiled. So that the land may not spew you out, should you defile it, as it has spewed out the nation which has been before you. For whoever does any of these abominations, those persons who do so shall be cut off from among their people. Thus you are to keep my charge, that you do not practice any of these abominable customs which have been practiced before you, so as not to defile yourselves with them. I am the Lord your God. So what we see here are a few things in verses 24 to 30. So the first things that we see is that the nations, verse 24, and the land itself has become defiled or unclean. So we talked a few um, discussions ago about there's a difference between the holy and the common, and then the common things are separated into clean and unclean. And what we said at that time uh, was that um, the priests were holy, and that the common Israelites were common and clean, and the Gentiles were common and unclean. And the reason why the Gentiles are common and unclean is because they engage in these practices. God calls the Israelites, his people whom he has redeemed out of slavery, to be, however common, but clean. 
right? And so um, the difference between common and clean is not always a moral issue, but sometimes it is a moral issue. And in the case of these abominable practices, the difference between clean and unclean or pure and impure is really truly uh, the sexual perversions in this particular case of Leviticus 18, which we are discussing. So the nations are defiled in verse 24, but it's also true that the land is defiled. And so you might ask yourself, how does the land itself become defiled? Well, I just want to point you, if you would, turn with me over to Romans 8. Paul says something very curious in Romans 8 that I think is related to the land becoming defiled. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And I I think this, this idea that the creation has been subjected to futility and, in a sense, to slavery has two aspects. And these aspects of the creation's eager longing to be set free come to us from Genesis 3. Okay, the fall of mankind. And the first manifestation of this defilement of the creation or the defilement of the land is now that we know the curses in Genesis 3 that the land will not only produce fruit, but it will produce thistles and thorns. Okay, the land itself was not originally designed to produce thistles and thorns which make man's work laborious. All right. So the first manifestation of this eager longing of the creation is the thistles and thorns in the curses of Genesis 3. But another aspect of that eager longing of the creation to be set free from its futility and bondage to slavery is this, that when men, sinful fallen men, live in the land and they practice these abominable sexual perversions... The land that that negatively impacts the land as well, such that the land can only take it for so long to the point where the land ultimately spews its inhabitants out. If you remember way back in the time of of Abram, when God was speaking to Abram and making promises to Abram, he said in Genesis 15 that Abram's descendants will be uh, in exile for 400 years. And the reason why that number was necessary was so that the Canaanites, when the Israelites ultimately were brought back into, into the promised land, so the Canaanites could fill up the measure of their sins. What are the sins that we're talking about? It is these sins in Leviticus chapter 18. And when the measure of those sins is filled up by the Canaanites, then they must be judged and kicked out of the land that God had promised 
to Abraham. And if you would like a cross-reference for that filling up of sins, I would point you to Matthew 23 as well. In, at the near the end of that chapter, Matthew 23, where um, God, uh, Jesus is actually pronouncing the seven woes on the Pharisees. He also talks to the Jews about filling up the measure of their sins as well. Eventually, the land spews out the people who are committing these abominable perversions in the land. We also see that, of course, in the Assyrian and Babylonian captivities as well. And you can see that right near the end of Second Chronicles. Okay, And so in verse 24, we have not only the nations themselves becoming defiled by these abominable practices, but the land itself is defiled by these practices as well. And then in verse 26, this contrast, but as for you, speaking to Moses and to the Israelites, you are to keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not do any of these abominations, neither the native nor the alien who sojourns among you. And of course, these prohibitions are so that, among other things, of course, which we've already discussed, so that the land will not become defiled once the Israelites are given the land, so that the land of Canaan will not spew the Israelites out. That is clearly implied uh, in the text of verse 27 and clearly stated directly in verse 28, so that the land may not spew you out. Right? And so, when we look at the Assyrian and Babylonian captivities, again, for example, it is because the Israelites, by their abominable practices, their idolatry, and all of the other things that were going on, they sinned such that the land could not take it anymore and spew them out. And then this warning specifically for individuals, for whoever, verse 29, does any of these abominations, those persons who do so shall be cut off from among their people. Um, and you can see this. This is an aspect of what we would call under the New Covenant church discipline. You can see a specific example of that in 1 Corinthians 5, where in the Corinthian church there was a, um, a violation of one of the... Uh, prohibitions in Leviticus chapter 18 and Paul Paul commands the Corinthian church um, to excommunicate this sinful brother who is not in repentance for this abominable practice that he was engaged in so as we wrap up here tonight um, again a reminder there's this pattern that we see over and over and over again in a gospel presentation I am God here is what I've done for you now here is how I expect you to live. And the way God expects us to live is completely consistent with His holiness and His character. And it is completely in contrast to those around us who do not know God. And you can see this exhortation not just here in Leviticus chapter 18, but you can see this exhortation all throughout the New Testament as well. The exhortation to be holy, to be righteous and holy like God, the God who saved us, like Jesus, the Savior who died for us, and to be live our lives in clear contrast to those around us who don't know God, who don't know Christ, who are not indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and who have not been made into a new creation in Christ where the old is gone and the new has come. 
So this is really, in essence, a gospel presentation similar to what we read in the New Testament. None of this should be a surprise to us. And so what we see going on around our culture, um, I would argue that things like no-fault divorce and and uh, all of the adulteries that are going on in our midst, all of the idolatry, and of course in our current climate, all of the homosexuality and other sexual perversions uh, are in clear clear violation of God's character and his holiness and the holiness code that he lays out for Israel in Leviticus 18 that the New Testament echoes over and over and over again.